Oh, good morning, everybody. Good uh, to be back with you um, by medium of uh, the video. Uh, Wes and Michelle were with you a couple of weeks ago, I believe, so it's always good to have Wes behind the controls getting this, uh, these video sermons uh, finished up for us. But we're continuing our series today, looking or preparing for the, the, um, you know, the celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus. We're in this season we call Advent. Uh, and we're thinking about uh, one of the great Advent hymns, O Come All Ye Faithful. So let's pray and then we'll get down to thinking about God's Word. Uh, loving Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that his birth uh, was at just the right time, uh, in just the right place, so that people like us could be saved and put right with you uh, and enjoy uh, the blessing of knowing peace with you and eternal life forever in your presence. So in this world of trouble, in this world of uh, busyness, um, in this world uh, where fear is uh, an accompaniment to much of what we see and experience, we pray that today you would put our hearts at rest. We pray that you would help us to think hard about your word and to treasure these, uh, these ancient truths, these uh, eternal promises, and bring them home and make them very real to us today. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so far we've, we've looked at O Come All Ye Faithful. Uh, we've seen that uh, Jesus was born the King of Angels, um, the, the invitation in, in the song is to, to come and behold him, uh, to come to make a journey of the imagination to that, uh, that humble beginning in Bethlehem, uh, to witness uh, the birth of the one whose life revealed him to be the king of the angels. Uh, verse 2 tells us that he's the true God, light from light. He's the eternal God uh, who was miraculously born to a virgin mother uh, but this one who was born is revealed to be God's one and only son. And so we're invited to come and join with angels, all of the heavenly beings, to celebrate this birth in song. And so verse 3 says, Sing, choirs of angels. That's an invitation or perhaps even a command. Sing, choirs of angels. It's entirely appropriate. Sing in exaltation. In other words, make it loud. Uh, exult, rejoice. Sing in exaltation. Sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Well... The citizens of heaven above at that time were the angels uh, and they're going to be joined in their praises by all those who are gathered around God's throne. The glory to God in the highest. O come, let us adore him. So glory to God in the highest. That's going to be the thought, uh, the theme of our, our talk today. What does it mean to give glory to God in the highest? Well, of course, those words are based on Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 14 and other things as well. But Luke chapter 2, 1 to 14 uh, let's read those together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went up to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds, out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, nativity plays are a big part of uh, of this season. Uh, I've sort of been to two. We've got a granddaughter in England, so she had her nativity play, and we saw a little video of that. Uh, Zoe played the role of a star. Uh, our other daughter, Lenny, uh, in, we went to her nativity play on Wednesday night and uh, she was dressed as an angel. So stars, angels, shepherds, Mary, Joseph, they're all the sorts of things that the kids get dressed, dressed up in. The thing about nativity plays is that um, if we learn everything about the story of Jesus from nativity plays, it'll be turned into sort of a fairy story. It, it will take on the... the aura of being make-believe and it's not we can become pretty familiar with stars angels shepherds wise men all of those sorts of things stables cattle lowing baby awakes all that stuff and it can all make the christmas story fairly domesticated uh, it can all seem very homely and ordinary well, we've got a dog at home. Lily is her name. She used to be Sally's dog, and she's a lovely dog. She and I are good friends. She follows me everywhere. She's a very gentle, kind dog. She was the perfect sort of companion animal for a seriously uh, ill owner. Um, but her calm exterior hides uh, a fierce interior uh, because Lily loves to catch rabbits. And when she does, she uh, does what with, with rabbits, what dogs tend to do with rabbits. And... Uh, uh, there's been quite a few rabbits that have met their match in Lily. Uh, so she's got this calm exterior, but deep within there's the heart of a fierce hunter. Um, I went for a walk with a young man one day who needed to have a chat to me, and uh, Lily's tail sort of sticks up a bit, um, and he's just at the right height to give it a tug. And this bloke gave the tail a playful tug. And Lily turned round and snarled and bared her teeth. And I said, you better not do that. See, the thing is, she's a pet, She's been domesticated, but it doesn't take much to remind her that she's an animal. And we've got to be careful uh, with the Christmas story that we don't domesticate it too much. I remember uh, back in the, um, back some time ago, the ABC radio on a Saturday morning would have uh, a program about animal care. And the host was uh, Dr Hugh Worth, who was a vet of many years' experience and the president of the RSPCA. And so people would ring in with their inquiries about what to do with their cat or their mouse or their dog or whatever. And this woman rang in one day, and this Dr. Hugh could be fairly brutal with people. This woman rang in with her complaint about something the dog had done, and Hugh cut her off and said, Madam, you must remember, your dog is a wild animal. So dogs and cats can be domesticated, but not far beneath the surface is that wildness. And I want to suggest to you that we've domesticated Christmas, but it's actually a pretty wild story. So let's just use a little bit of sanctified imagination and think this through. Imagine being a shepherd out there at night watching over your flocks. These were not shrinking violets. They were not pansy-type figures. These were, these were tough outdoors men. 
These were people who had to be courageous to do their job because the sheep needed protection. They needed protection from robbers and they needed protection from wild animals. And so these shepherds were men who were used to facing danger, I dare say. And yet when the angels came, or the angel came, they were terrified. The text tells us that they were filled with great fear. Imagine being out there on a night like any other night where you think it's going to be the same as it was the one before and the one before that, and then bang, out of nowhere comes an angel and the glory of the Lord. Have a look there in verse 9. The, an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. They were terrified. Men that we could assume to be rugged outdoors types used to having to display courage were terrified. Now, why would that be? Well, it was the appearance of an angel with all of the glory of God. Now, in Exodus chapter 40, we read about the, uh, the tabernacle, that portable worship tent that Moses was instructed to build according to the pattern that God gave him. So God has rescued his people out of Egypt. He's taking them into the promised land. He wants to live among them, but he has to live among them in a way that's safe for the people. Because the people, if they get too close to God's holiness, are going to be consumed. Well, God tells them to build the tabernacle, which was this tent that was divided into two parts. There was the holy place, into which only priests could go, and then there was the most holy place, which only the high priest could go to, and only on one day of the year. Now, in Exodus chapter 40, we read that Moses finished the work of building the tabernacle, and in verse 33 to 35, don't turn it up, it's all on the screen, um, all of the cross-references will be on, on the screen, thanks to Wes and his uh, editing techniques. Um, and we read there, Exodus 40, the cloud filled the cover of, of the tent of meeting. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord. Glory is a word that means brilliance brightness overwhelming radiance it literally means something quite heavy something weighty and so there's there's a real power in this glory it's overwhelming and it was overwhelming to the point that Moses the man of God the servant of God could not be where the glory was he had to leave and so this idea of glory is not something to be taken lightly and the glory that the angels that the the shepherds experienced was the glory of the Lord manifested in the presence of his angels and it terrified them. And so God reveals the birth of the Saviour to these ordinary lowly people, not high flyers, not the wealthy, not the powerful shepherds out doing their regular everyday job. They didn't have any preparation, then bang, glory, and they were scared. But the angel says to them, fear not fear not well they were fearful they were terrified but the angel says fear not and the reason for that is because he's going to bring them good news and so he tries to put them at ease he tries to put them more at rest with that uh, with what's going on now i did some a little bit of homework on that that phrase fear not fear not or be not afraid or those sorts of phrases turn up about 71 times in the bible according to the little bit of uh, reconnaissance that i did uh, I have heard tell, and I haven't been able to verify this myself, but I have heard tell that of all the commands in the Bible, the one that's repeated the most often is fear not. Well, even if it's not the number one, 
71 times throughout the Bible story comes the command from various sources, from God through an angel, from Jesus, fear not, fear not. And in a world that could be pretty scary, and ours really is at the moment, that's a word that we need to hear again and again, fear not. That's what the angel said to the shepherds on, on that night, fear not, you don't need to be afraid. Now, this idea of glory, God's glory, was something that was well known to people who knew the Old Testament scriptures, who knew the Hebrew scriptures. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah, as we've seen, as we've studied the book of Isaiah over the last couple of years, was written to Israel at a time in its history where they deeply failed God and where they deserved his punishment. And God had said, I'll cause you to be taken captive by another nation whose language you don't know and you'll be taken out. But Isaiah prophesies that, but he also looks ahead to a day when God's going to rescue his people, he's going to save his people. And so that exile will come to an end. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah looks ahead to the end of the exile and says this is how it's going to come about. And so Isaiah talks in chapter 40 about a voice that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. So he's saying God's going to appear. God's going to turn up. And when he does, we're going to have to make sure that the road's fit for him. Um, every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. We're going to make a, a good path for God to arrive on it. It's poetic, symbolic language. But the result of this is the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh, not just Israelites, but all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, this is a true word because it comes straight from Yahweh. Uh, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Well, that's what's happening on that night near Bethlehem. The glory of the Lord is being revealed. But Isaiah means us to understand that when the glory of the Lord is revealed in this wonderful way to all people, it's going to be for salvation, for rescue from, um, from slavery. The revealing of the glory of Yahweh was the, the announcement of the arrival of salvation. And so verse 11 in Luke chapter 2, the angels give the reason for why the shepherds no longer need to be fearful. They give them the content of the good news. And the, the good news that they've, uh, that they've received is, uh, is news of great joy that will be for all the people. Right? Great joy. No need for fear because fear is going to be replaced by joy. And so verse 11 tells us that unto you this day is born in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Now Saviour is another rich Old Testament word. Um, in Luke chapter 1, Mary calls God her Saviour. Because God was the one that saved Israel out of Egypt, saved them through the wilderness, brought them into the promised land, and then saved them again from exile in Babylon. God is Israel's saviour. But now the angel of God announces to the shepherds that a saviour has been born, and this saviour is Christ the Lord. Well, Christ the Lord means the Messiah, uh, the, the promised one, the anointed king that we talked about last week. And he's going to be born and he's going to bring salvation. He's going to save God's people. And that's going to be the occasion of great joy. Now, we need to be saved. People need to be saved because God's holy and we're not. We've seen a bit of a foretaste of God's holiness 
in his glory that meant that Moses had to leave the tabernacle. But there's an extraordinary prophecy in the book of Numbers. Now in the book of Numbers, which describes the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness into the promised land, uh, now they've got the tabernacle there in amongst them when they make their camp. But there was rebellion in the camp. The people of Israel rebelled against God and, uh, and God threatened to destroy them. Uh, but he reneged from that, that threat. Uh, but he did say that some would have to pay for their rebellion against him. But he swore an oath. God swore an oath in these words. Numbers 14 verse 21, he says, Truly, as I live... And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So he's swearing by this certainty. There's two things he swears by. One is that he is alive, as I live. Well, is God alive? Yep, we can, we can bank on that. And the other thing he swears by is that one day all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. He says, well, as a result of that, these people can count on it that I'm going to punish them. But there's, there's just a fascinating little detail in there that God acknowledges that one day the whole earth is going to be filled with his glory. Now, remembering that Moses couldn't stand in the holy place when God's glory filled it, one day the whole earth is going to be filled with glory. The, the destruction that came on the earth because of the fall of Adam and Eve, where they sinned and, and God put the earth under a curse, that's going to be dealt with. And instead of cursing, there's going to be glory. The earth will be full of God's glory, but that would not be a safe environment for sinful people to live in. In fact, it would be impossible. And so we need saving from God's glory because it would overwhelm us. And so this saviour that's going to be born in Luke 2 is going to save us and equip us to live in a gloriously restored new earth. And the saviour will be Christ the Lord, the anointed one, the Messiah, the the one who is born in the line of the king of, of King David, um, the one because he's going to be born in Bethlehem, which is David's city, and so this, the shepherds are told you don't need to be fearful, even of all this display of God's brilliance, magnificence, and glory, because someone who's going to save you has just been born, and now they're told go and visit him, go and see where he's been laid in the manger with his mother and his uh, and Joseph not far away. And so we read in verses 13 to 14, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now William Barclay, the, uh, the Scottish commentator, points out an interesting detail, which I think is quite lovely. Um, in Palestine in those days, uh, when a mother was pregnant, uh, as the day of the birth approached, uh, people would gather near the house to uh, to celebrate when the birth actually took place. And amongst those who gathered would be musicians. According to Barclay, if the child was a boy, the musicians sang and played, and they sang and rejoiced at the birth of a boy. If it was a girl, they went away. I'm not going to comment on that. Um, but if it was a boy, celebration. Now, Barclay points out that Jesus, by being born in Bethlehem, was not, in, not at home because home was Nazareth in Galilee. Joseph and Mary had gone to Bethlehem because of the census. So there were no gathered musicians there, except that God sent a gathering of angels to celebrate the birth of this boy who's like no other, the one who's born to be the saviour 
of all who come to God by faith in him. And so these angels gathered after the announcement to the shepherds and they sang glory to God in the highest. Now there's two uses of the word glory in this passage. There's that that sense in which it's brilliance and brightness and radiance and magnificence and this overwhelming heaviness of, of, of God's glory that makes people fearful. That's one way that the word glory is used. But there's a second way. You can, you can glorify God, which means to praise him, which means to tell out the wonderful things that make God who he is and the wonderful things that he's done. So we glorify God because he's a glorious God. He's a God who lives in that unapproachable light that we've spoken about in 1 Timothy 6 last week. Um, and so the angels glorify God for his magnificence, but also... They glorify him, no doubt, because he's the God who rescues. He's the God who saves. And so the armies of heaven are praising God. They're glorifying him uh, because he has sent his son to the earth to bring in peace. Now, that, that's just a wonderful promise. Uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Every Christmas I, I seem to say this, but do we need peace? Or well, we do. There's, there's trouble wherever you look. There's trouble in families. Uh, there's trouble between neighbours. There's trouble at work. There's trouble in churches sometimes, perhaps too often. Uh, but of course, you look beyond and there's trouble in nations. And nations are divided and there's a lot of anger. But then nations are at war. And who knows what 2024 is going to hold if the Lord just, Jesus doesn't come soon. Who knows what's going to happen? We've got two very significant wars going on in the world at the moment, um, in, in the Middle East and in Ukraine, and who knows what's still to come. So we live in a troubled world. We live in a world that's longing for peace, and the angels say that this one born in Bethlehem is going to be the agent of God's peace. Glory to God in the, the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, in Micah chapter 5, uh, a prophecy that also includes the location, written about 800 years before Jesus arrived. Uh, the location of his birth of the Messiah was, was, was nominated in uh, Micah chapter 5. But this, this Messiah that Micah points forward to, he says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. So the peace that the angels announce is the peace that God had promised that will come through a new shepherd, someone who's going to lead and feed and protect God's people, a king who will establish God's rule right across the whole earth, says Micah. And that's going to lead to a security that we can barely imagine. The shepherds were out there trying to guard their sheep from predators, from robbers. Uh, they were conscious that they were living in a world where those sorts of things were common. And we need guarding. We need protection. We need someone who can put an end to all of those things that threat, threaten us. We need uh, um, an end to the insecurity that leaves us fearful and sorrowful. And that the end of that is this eternal relationship which is possible with God. Now this announcement is for everyone. Uh, the, the announcement was good news of joy for all people. But the peace that comes from the Messiah, the Christ, is only for those 
on whom God's favour rests or those with whom he is pleased. Now, if you want to experience that peace, that end to sorrow, that end to distress, the end to fear, if you want to experience that peace, you can, and you can experience it even now in this present troubled world. You can experience the peace of God, but you can know that beyond the experience of this life, there's a peace that passes all understanding in God's glorious presence forever. Now, what does it mean that this peace is for those with whom God is pleased? Well, what pleases God? If you're a parent, what pleases you? It's when your children do as they're told. God is pleased when we do his will. And what's his will? Well, it's his will, it's his pleasure, that we acknowledge that this baby born in Bethlehem is exactly who God says he is, the saviour of the world, and we need saving. We need saving because we were made to live with God forever, and yet that glorious future is one that we simply are not equipped in our sinful selves to, to manage. Moses couldn't be in the holy place when the glory filled it. Um, God says that one day the whole earth will be full of his glory. When the Apostle Paul was reflecting uh, in Titus chapter 2 on the nature of what Jesus accomplished in his grown-up life. So we're celebrating the arrival of the Christ, but we only celebrate because of what he grew up to be. When Paul was thinking about that in Titus chapter 2, he put it this way. He says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared, says Paul. That's something that has happened in the past. Uh, but something that needs to happen in the present uh, He's bringing salvation, and that salvation for his all is for all people. It's for all people who believe that God's grace is present in the Lord Jesus, that his death on the cross was for them. And so as a consequence of putting our trust in Jesus in the present, we'll be wanting to say goodbye to lives of ungodliness and worldly passions, uh, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. And part of this present age is waiting for Jesus' return, his second advent. Christmas celebrates his first advent. One day, Jesus is going to return. He's going to appear again, the second advent. In verse 13 of Titus chapter 2, Paul calls that our blessed hope. It's the, 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 the waiting for the future appearance of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, he's going to establish God's glorious rule on earth. That one day, according to the prophet Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, if you want to be made fit to live in that glorious future, you need to put your trust in Jesus today. The one who was born in the stable, born in the most humble of circumstances, who grew up to die, to offer his life for yours so that you could be put right with the glorious God and live in his glorious kingdom forever. That's where the reign of fear and terror and death will be done away with forever, and a new reign under the rule of 
this great shepherd, the Lord Jesus, fear will be completely replaced and peace will reign, the peace that our hearts long for. And so the glorious God manifested his glory through an angel to tell the frightened shepherds that all would be well, that peace was coming to the earth through the one who they would shortly visit in the stable in Bethlehem. And then the angels joined in singing praises, giving glory to this God who accomplishes so much for his people. So sing choirs of angels and sing Mafra Community Church. Sing in exaltation. Sing all you citizens of heaven above. Glory to God in the highest. O come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Uh, Loving Father, these are great and wonderful truths. There is a real wildness to them. Help us not to give in to the domestication of Christmas, to think that it's a cute little thing. Uh, help us to understand just uh, you know, the, the magnificence of, of your nature and the wonder that it is that you came uh, down, you stooped low and became a human being in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we give you praise for the, uh, this, this wonderful story of how you appeared um, in all your radiance to these shepherds and you calmed their fears and, and told them to go and see and they saw the Christ and they went and bore witness of that. So Father, I pray that everyone gathered here today uh, would meditate deeply on these things that we would all uh, find our peace with you only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if there are people here today who still don't know you, who still uh, are resisting and holding out, uh, looking for peace some other way or just trying to struggle on through this troubled world, Father, I pray that you would stir deeply in their hearts and cause them to come to acknowledge you as the great God and King, the glorious uh, Saviour of the world, and come to, uh, to find their peace with you through the Lord Jesus and all that he did for them on the cross. Father, please help us to live in the light of these, these glorious truths. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you all, and I'll see you next Sunday, Christmas Eve, for uh, the last one in this series, and also our Christmas carols at night. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.